So, Marcus, um, I, I didn't finish all, all the chapters. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Your book report it, is due, it, mister. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Mm. And I was trying. But uh, if you just want to kind of just throw it out there and George, you pick it up and then I'll feed off of what you and George are talking about, I think we'll be fine. Okay. I think most people thought that Steve Kerr would wind up with his mentor Phil in New York. That it was only a matter of time, as the reports earlier this week indicated, that, that they would finally reach uh, some agreement and, and break through their impasse over four versus five years. That it just it was a matter of negotiation getting finished. So I, I, I'm shocked by this only because. I still think the Phil job was a safer and better job for Steve than this job. Hmm. I'm going to say it again. Mark Jackson is going to be a tough act to follow in Golden State. As you pointed out many times, Stephen A., this was his third year there. Two years ago, of course, they went 47-35, and 35, beat Denver 4-2 in the first round of the playoffs, lost to San Antonio in the second round 4-2. And this year, they up it to 51-31, and 31, and take the Clippers to seven games. Pretty good. Hey, pretty great. I still don't get it. I'm not sure that locker room gets it. Steve Kerr, as we all know, terrific basketball mind, great guy. That may be his strongest point is what a great guy he is. But at the first sign of trouble next regular season, first two-game, three-game losing streak, you know where the criticism is going to be aimed at the head, the new head coach. Oh, no more Mark Jackson. New coach Steve Kerr has never coached a dribble in his life. Wow, he's going to be on the hot seat pretty quickly there, even though he's got the blessing, obviously, the owner and the CEO and the GM. They love him. But do the players love him? Because we know they love Mark Jackson. So that's why I thought this job's a little dicier in the Western Conference. I know what you say about the backcourt shooting tandem. I don't know if they're the greatest ever, but they're really good. And I know if Bogut is right, it'll, it'll make them a little bit better. But they're in the West. And if Melo does decide to stay with Phil in the East, I, I'm not going to write them off. And I'm not going to say that that couldn't be a much quicker rebuild, quote-unquote, than you're talking about. Uh, even on the court, we stay fly. Jada and AI, make sure you go get the A5s. Even on the court, we stay fly. Jada and AI, make sure you go get the A5s. Golden State Warriors basketball star Stephen Curry is one of the hottest players in the NBA. He is the league's first ever unanimous MVP, earning that award for the second straight season. And Golden State is hoping to celebrate a second straight championship if they can win best out of seven against LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. That winning streak and fan popularity has led to a direct impact on sneaker sales. So on Thursday, when Under Armour unveiled the all-white low-top version of the Curry 2 sneakers, dubbed Chef in honor of Curry's nickname, the sportswear company was probably expecting to extend their winning streak. But then the internet stepped in, and it had a lot of opinions. 
Consensus in the Twitter sphere is that the Curry 2s were not just ugly, they were for old people, nurses, and PE teachers. Twitter smart Alex renamed the sneakers. Among the new names? The Prostate Exam 7s. The I Own the Entire Beatles collection. The Life Alert 4s. The Matinee 230s. The I Was Told by Apple Care 7s. And the We're Taking This Fight All the Way to the Convention 3s. Even Curry's daughter Riley was made into a meme over the shoes. For Under Armour, a massively unpopular shoe was no laughing matter. In April, the sports apparel company reported a 30% jump in revenue to just over $1 billion, and Curry's shoes, now in their second year on the market, gave Under Armour's footwear business a 64% boost in revenue. As in basketball, there's always another season. Days before releasing the new Curry 2s, Under Armour announced that acclaimed fashion designer Tim Coppins, who was nominated for the CFDA's Menswear Designer of the Year Award, will join Under Armour as executive creative director and will oversee designing a men's and women's collection featuring clothes, accessories, and shoes. Until then, fans will always have the Gout Game 12s. George, did you listen to the uh, the last episode? Yes, that was fresh. I enjoyed all of it. <laughs> the cut, the cut, the, those those uh, clips and the cutaways were perfect. That's like exactly like kind of fills in what we were talking about. That was beautiful. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Yo, so, KD's such a dick, yo. <laughs> I mean, listen. <laughs> the opening the opening bars of Kevin and me, man. <laughs> Fuck you, fuck your sources and your book. How much money you paid me for my chapter? How much you think it's worth? Not enough. Uh, Kevin. Woo! <clears throat> I mean, we can keep, we can start there, man. We don't need to do, like, an official open. Keep going, man. It's like, <laughs> feel free. Well, all, right. Like, all right, so just from that quote alone, it just shows you how much Kevin Durant has changed in the four years since he left Oklahoma City, because he was always he was always a great NBA player, like one of the best players in the NBA. But everybody, like I guess I don't want to call it a knock, but I'd say that for a long time, people just thought he was a soft-spoken dude who, uh, worked whenever I remember those OKC press conferences when him and Westbrook would be up there, and they would just look like two homies who wanted to do anything but 
talk to reporters. They'd rather be playing basketball and stuff. And KG just seemed like one of the most chill people ever. And then he makes the decision to go to Golden State. And in the whole first season, he's he's like the perfect teammate. And then the, he like the finals happen. They win. Uh, people are blaming, like not respecting him over LeBron enough. He's not getting enough accolades. I'm sure. It's, and and the thing is, he just he just became this bitter, resentful person who, especially after the whole OKC cupcake thing, that he just does not. I, he he really thinks that he's above it all, and it's just wild how he's changed. And maybe that's how Kevin Durant always was, but it's just so evident what these four years in Golden State have been, especially with him being on the best team in the league and being its best player at times, just how much has maybe gone to his head and how much he's taken that momentum and just brought it to his regular everyday life, you know? Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of backstory that KD hasn't told, like, the national public. Because um, there's, like, this sort of vague sort of thing of, like, um, KD grew up tough or whatever. KD had, like, a hard life growing up. And we don't necessarily know what that, like, all encompasses. So I think that's where it's sort of um, the base of what Kevin is because I feel like a lot of what Katie is trying to – I think Katie wants to prove something, but I think especially with Draymond, the interview that he had a couple of weeks ago where he was basically saying that after the finals when – um, Katie was wanting to accolade it, like being the best in the league. And then when it didn't come, it wasn't like, it wasn't fulfilling. So like when the championship in itself wasn't fulfilling, but just the, the recognition of being like the league's best, like Katie was seeking that. And so that's kind of like where, you know, Steve, uh, Steve Nash came in and kind of talked about how he just sort of knew that the um, championship that they won just wasn't fulfilling for Katie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of like it's this sort of weird sort of thing that I think Kevin Durant going to Golden State, I think it's so unprecedented that no one really could have expected expected any of this because everyone's grown up like it's funny it's funny um, Ethan Strauss uses a phrase the take zone where this is legit like the first time that I can remember. Like, since coming out of the 90s where the only thing, we're always told the only thing that matters is the ring. Like, if you're a champion, like, that's what solidified you. Like, not if you're Dan Marino, not if you're Charles Barkley. Like, if you have the championship, then you are solid. And so, this is legit the first time in, like, decades where the championship did not solidify his reputation. Mm -hmm. Um I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later as far as KD's reputation, but um, it's legit the first time that like someone has won the title, but and clearly like the best player on the floor for both of those title pieces, and no one gave a fuck. Like no one gave a <laughs> shit. Not, not even Warriors fans. Like that's the wildness of it all. Like people like Warriors fans love Steph more. Hell, Warriors fans love fucking Draymond Green more. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And yep. it's like Kate, it was one of those things where Katie, Katie thought winning would solve his problems and it clearly did not. Like that's, that's the wildness of it all. 
There's something in there. The thing that's that surprised me because, you know, Marcus and I uh, know about, you know, him growing up in in Seat Pleasant and in Prince George's and everything. And because he's from y'all's, y'all's area. Yeah. And there was that time I, I kind of would have liked there was that time when we were trying to get the KD to DC movement coming. Like, why don't you oh, come yeah. back here? Why don't you come back here and win a championship? Like LeBron <laughs> reminds me of the water boy. We can, <laughs> why don't you come back here and win a championship? Like LeBron did with his city, you know, <laughs> why don't you yeah, do exactly. that for us? And <laughs> there was like, no, he paid, paid no mind to that, but there's something. And, and Ethan kind of touches on it that like with his, with his mother, Wanda, that there's something in there deeper that we're not aware of because, you know, he was great in OKC and he's the MVP and they had a finals appearance and everything. And you're the real MVP. And then, like, as he says, like, we didn't see her for a couple years. And he says that it's apparently because she was handling, you know, the business side of, you know, her son's life in the NBA. And mm-hmm. then he decided to take control in 2014. And apparently that, like, caused some issues and then maybe that is the point that you kind of trace all of this i don't want to like flippantly say mental health issues but he brings it up in the book because he kind of goes on a deviation from kd into like the mental health of nba players and superstars which is interesting um and obviously we had guys like kevin love you know publicly talk about it like yo this is a problem and that kind of opened up a lot of people's eyes but Maybe somewhere around that time when he's trying to make this decision and he takes control of his finances that, you know, he kind of something flips in his head and he becomes kind of I don't want to say he was affable before, but he wasn't nearly as like vindictive as he is now. And as he was when he went to Golden State And and you're right, the championships, unfortunately, at least for Golden State fans and even NBA fans, you know, didn't give him the acclaim or accolades if he was looking for that. I, you know, the funny thing is, like, KD was kind of like, <laughs> uh, KD was kind of like Kobe before Colorado. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we only got, like, the Sprite oh, commercials, wow. yeah. the the uh, Nike commercials, like, the Adidas run, like, him going to prom with Brandy. <laughs> like, we, mm-hmm. we really only got these surface level sort of things. And so with KD, it was kind of like the same sort of thing where it's like, you know, he was this he was a tall, lanky kid coming out of Texas. Um, he goes to Seattle. Um, Seattle is so far away that it doesn't necessarily draw like this sort of East Coast attention that it probably should have. And he doesn't really sort of come into his own or I would say even become like a household name until like the Oklahoma City days. And that's when you see the transition of, you know, he's just sort of this guy that plays basketball to, like, there's something below the surface that's more there. And it's funny, like, I remember even so early on when the biggest controversial thing about KD was it was just playing Oklahoma City. I don't even know what year it was. I don't even know the game. Like, KD, like, he, in, in transition, he, like, dunked on somebody, and then he mouthed, like, and one motherfucker. And then that, <laughs> and then that was, like, viral, and people were like, whoa, KD said motherfucker. And, like, that was, like, the right sort of thing of, like... It might have been, been Wade. I think he put that in here in the book. <laughs> I, like, I can't remember if it was Dwayne Wade or maybe it was somebody else. Like, it was, like him even cursing was a thing that warranted people like being like super surprised. And so, yep. and so, you know, pivot from that to now, like 
him dunking on somebody and cursing like that's basically like the, the standard probably mm-hmm. so like i think katie has a lot below the surface that um for, i mean it is not it's not necessarily something that all athletes need to give us like to go in a personal sort of sense of who they are but i think katie has a lot below the surface that he has not maybe never even worked out or just don't doesn't feel comfortable with actually getting into in a public sphere, which is totally understandable. Uh, but Katie, man, Katie, the asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he's definitely becoming an asshole and I have a, a high, I, I don't know how hot of a take it is. We'll talk <laughs> about it, it when we get into rich climbing and stuff, but, but yeah, like when the OKC happened uh, or not, the Warriors move happened, I was totally against it. I thought it was a, a selfish move on his part. And then as the season progressed and as he started becoming more of the, the heel versus being the face KD, then um, the bad guy versus being a good guy, I started to embrace it. And he's especially when he gets on Twitter, he started talking back to everybody. I was like, you know what? I'm kind of here for it. It took me about a year or so. A year and a half or so before I came around doing it. But I was like, you know what? I like it. But, I mean, like, seriously, he he aims to be such a dick. And even from, uh, like, four podcasts with him, like, throughout the course of, the like, from 2016 through, like, 2017. Maybe there was one in 2018. It was, like, four different times. And you can even hear it those four different times, like, just the changes in him from, not that he was, he, he was already standoffish at first about everything everything at first but he just seemed like he was more open and willing to talk about things and then like by the last couple podcasts he did with bill simmons that's when he he starts to fuck the blog boys and all this other stuff that he uh, kept saying and climbing's there and and simmons is trying to like simmons got some decent stuff out of him um don't get me wrong but at the same time he's just like i'm just gonna be as uh uh mean as possible and i really don't care about the ramifications of it I'd like to welcome Kevin Durant to the podcast as well. Thank you for listening. Now that we know that you listen to this type of stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bro, like, uh, if Kevin Durant, if you're listening, <laughs> please understand. Come back home. Come back home, Katie. <laughs> well, actually, yes. Please come to Washington, D.C. to play. Um, if you bring a championship, you know you will literally be like, you know, I think Katie is not old enough to sort of remember who Lynn Bias was, mm-hmm. but Lynn Bias was wow. the chosen one. Yeah. And then Katie came back and he should have been the chosen one. Like if you legit would have told me, like if I was in like middle school or high school, someone from PG County would become probably the most unguardable offensive force in NBA history I legit would not have believed you, but it's of course. like, I wanted to get into a little bit later, but I mean, hell, like since we're talking about it right now, fuck it. We can talk about it right now. Like I think the idea that Kevin Durant, I, I, I can understand Kevin's perspective of being upset that people, he, he dominated and demolished the Cavaliers and particularly, he outplayed LeBron in both series. Mm-hmm. I do think it is pretty. It's it's not like even close about what he did in those finals, and so I can see how it'd be upsetting that LeBron was still chosen as like the NBA's best when Kevin Durant was like clearly there. Um, 
I I think Kevin Durant's apex may be the most unguardable person in NBA history. Like, there's no person who's seven feet tall who can literally create his own shot at any part of the floor. Like, he can he can pull up, he can drive, like he can post, he can he can shake and get free. Um, he can jump straight up, he can fade away, like he can dunk. Like, I think it's he has all those talents, and yet I still <laughs> I still was in the camp of saying LeBron is still the NBA's best because I mean it it's he cheated. Kevin mm. it just feels like Kevin Durant cheated the game. Like like you went to like the mm. the best team in NBA history and you you didn't have to do what LeBron did in those finals, like <sighs> It's remarkable that LeBron carried those 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 Cavaliers teams to the finals. Like Kevin, like Kevin Love coming up remarkably short in 2016. Um, Kyrie and all his flat Earth bullshit. Like, like, <laughs> like the, the carousel of coaches that don't matter. Like the GMs that. LeBron basically had to be GM LeBron to like finesse a team together. Like I just think that everything LeBron did to claw his way to be like in that position to get to the finals, like it's much, much more than what KD had to do. And so it everything encompassing that, like it's just really hard to say Kevin emphatically was the 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 best in the league. Because his his path was easier. Like he had like yeah. the two greatest shooters in NBA history. He had a person who probably is one of the greatest defenders of this generation in Draymond Green. Like he had a coach in Steve Kerr who was as as innovative as any coach in the league. So you have like all these things that are helping you. And not to mention like the side characters who who don't give a shit about starting. They just want to be a part of the ride. Like so you have like all these role players on these Warriors teams who know their role, shut their mouths, and just pass the ball to whoever's open other than them. That's and like Julia. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh my god, yes. <laughs> like you had like all these different pieces like next to you that LeBron didn't have. And so it's just it's just really hard to sort of give up that mantle. So I don't, do you got, so, so Kellen, from your perspective, like, do you think that, how justifiable do you think KD's anger was, like, in those finals? Like, like, not only winning those finals, but then, like, just not getting the title of the league's best. I think, I think he went a little too far. Go to the team that won 73 games the year before. You join them, you do what you're supposed to do, you win the title, you hit a big three over LeBron James in game three. Um, and you outplay who's arguably the best player in the league at, um, at that given time. And you win a championship, you win finals MVP. Yeah, it'd be nice if you got a little recognition, but at the same time, you got the ring, you got the trophy, you got the finals MVP. Uh, you can shut up everybody who told, who said you were going there for ring chasing. It's still like, yeah, yeah, you went there to be part of the team that you could possibly win a championship with. And guess what? Unlike LeBron, who went to Miami in 2010 and 20, in 2011, you came through your very first season. And so you have that over him. I feel like he's justified to be mad. 
a little angry, you know, and, like, maybe he can say something snippy and everything, but for it to just dominate your whole life where you're just, like, fuck everything, I can't believe I'm not getting respect out of his deserve. I think he's just taking it way too far. And to be carrying that still after three years later, um, after you um won uh, like uh yeah after you won two titles and moved on to a new place, to still be carrying that persona and it it, it can't be healthy, man. And I just think he's just I don't think it's needed. I don't think it adds anything else to the legend of Kevin Durant. <laughs> he's turned into this massive ass hat. I I, I think. The two things I think that he's missing, that Kevin's missing in the calculus, is one is is the face turn aspect of it. When Miami loses in that fourth final to San Antonio, people still, I mean, I personally, I, hell, I was rooting for San Antonio. It's like fuck you, LeBron. You know, <laughs> like you got your went down there, got your rings. You've been in the finals every year. You've been in Miami, and. I th- and so you're still waiting to figure out where he's going to go. Is he going to go to everybody says New York just because they think people want to play in New York? And we've proven that that's not the case. But, you know, everybody, you know, was waiting for where he's going to go. So there's still a point in time after his time in Miami ends, but he has yet to make the decision to come back to Cleveland, that his next decision creates what the legacy and the public sentiment about him is going to be. And then he pulls the face turn and he says, I'm coming home. And it's. 50,000 people in the stadium in Akron and everybody going nuts and partying in Cleveland. And there's an aspect of that, that him face turning toward the public and then proceeding to go to, and this part two of this is then proceeding to go to four straight finals. In addition to the four he just did with another franchise is something we might not ever see again in the NBA. One player going to eight straight finals, let alone on doing it on different teams like that. So he Kevin's missing the part of it where it wasn't did LeBron chase the rings in going to Miami and building the super team? Yes. And that fundamentally changed the way the modern NBA works in terms of getting people to get getting two or three guys together who play at the top of their game. And we'll fill in the, the as Marcus said, we'll fill in the guys, the role players later after the fact. But also mm-hmm. par, part of that experience is LeBron making the effort to right the wrongs and Kevin hasn't made the effort to right the wrongs yet. And maybe if, and when he does that in some way, I don't know if it means going back to DC. I don't know if it means having success in Brooklyn with Kyrie, if, and when that happens, that's a part of LeBron, that. That's a part of LeBron's story that he's It's not just the simple. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody by every, all accounts, Kevin played better than LeBron in those finals, but he didn't, he doesn't get the accolades because we're missing the sentimental warm fuzzy part of the story that lebron was able to give us and kevin hasn't been able to give us that yet before we we're going to circle back to kevin because i mean obviously you know the kevin Durant chapter is like super weighty and like super important but we're going to get a little bit more into the possibilities of kd and sort of looking back and like even foreshadowing for kd's career coming up but let's talk a little bit about steve kerr um we don't need this focus a lot of time on the Kerr chapter even though I think the Kerr chapter is actually pretty interesting and just sort of exploring the thought process of building and guiding a team you know basically from scratch like I mean from uh, from Kerr's philosophy like if if he was a coach of the fucking wizards like I would be like so proud to like (laughs) (laughs) I was so I'll be proud that he was like my coach like I think the Kerr chapter in his book um it's really insightful because you don't really kind of 
I think people now have sort of like the like when we grew up, like we played, you know, Madden, we played NBA Live, like we played NBA 2K. And so, you know, we build these like electronic teams in our games. And so we only sort of see like these sort of like we build it from the numbers that we see on the screen. Um, we try to, you know, build the best team to dominate these like um uh fanatical leagues that we've created on our computers and our xboxes and our playstations but the actual building of personalities um people that we see on the court people we see on the sidelines and people that we don't even see behind the scenes like i think getting a look into that aspect in this book was actually really well done and so the the steve kerr chapter it really was just sort of about how Kerr built his philosophy on coaching. And and like I said, like if this was my coach, like like I would feel very proud that this is my coach. And so I think one of the interesting parts of the book is talking about how he basically formed his um process and sort of guidance for coaching through joy, compassion, competitiveness, mindfulness. Like I think all that is actually pretty dope for Kerr. Um, but George, what did you find any, anything interesting uh, from yourself from the from the Kerr chapter? The the way that I don't think probably was reported before about <clears throat> excuse me how he kind of collaborated with you know coaches and administrators across all sports. I think that's really interesting. He said that Mike Tannenbaum, who works for ESPN now and didn't really have much success as a general manager with the Jets and the Dolphins, uh, negotiated his contract with Golden State, and that he, that Kerr, over the course of time, he went and talked with Bill Parcells, he went and talked with um, Pete Carroll in Seattle, and, and like, as I was reading the part about Pete Carroll, when you kind of think about it, they do have this similar mentality and style in the way that they can get guys to rally around that that methodology because I don't think Pete Carroll people think Pete Carroll is like you know the most tough demanding kind of guy but he brings the best out of his players and especially when you know at a point in time you had a team with Marshawn Lynch on it who is his own entity in more ways than one when you had <laughs> Rich, Richard Sherman and the Legion of Boom and then Russell Wilson, who's not necessarily, you know, the most outspoken quarterback, but they've, but like just to manage those different personalities and to make it work and leading you to, you know, two Super Bowl appearances and a championship, like that's, it's kind of interesting to see when you think about it, some of the similarities between the Seahawks in their run in the last decade and then it's, uh, some of how the Warriors worked with Kerr. So that, that was fascinating and something I didn't realize um, that, that, that he had, that Steve Kerr had done. Kellen, so KD, he openly mocks the idea of joy (laughs) being fuel for championships. But from your perspective, obviously on outside looking in, do you think joy actually matters in pro sports? Uh, Because even going up, like I said before, I grew up like an NBA fan, like an NFL primarily primary fan and none of those motherfuckers look like they had joy until they actually won like everything in between does not look fun for the nfl but what's what's your idea of thinking about joy like being used as actual fuel for these pro leagues i think it's i think it's totally doable like one thing i think and to draw the uh the parallel already one thing i think that uh Steve has definitely learned from Phil Jackson from being coached for him all those years is 
Phil, like Phil was always like Zen and everything. And, and the team really like rallied around Phil itself. Like even to the point where ultimately the bulls were broken up because Jerry Krause and was done with having Phil Jackson as a coach. And Jordan was like, if Phil's not the coach, I'm not here. And Scotty wasn't staying anyway because of the money. But the thing is, they all was there and were able to do what they were do, or able to do what they did because of Phil. And on some level, you have to like what you're doing for a coach. You have to like what you're doing on the basketball floor. And then when you get to a point where things are going really well, you develop a love for those things, a love for your coach, a love for your um, playing the game, a love for even your, your teammates. And so you have to find little joys in not just basketball or just sports, but in life anyway. There has to be little things that make you smile when you're in the middle of a basketball game. Or it might be the way that you execute a play. It might be the way y'all uh, execute defense. It might be the fact that um, despite multiple times that they try to, to trade them away, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry is still in your teams, and all of a sudden you guys win all these cha- championships. There's a lot of things to find joy in in sports. It could be anything. And I know it's like you have to have intensity on the court. you got to be focused and, on all, and all this. You can do all that, but that's all part of the game. And to take an old adage, if you don't love playing the game, if you don't love doing what you do, why do it? So if you can't find joy in something, being a professional sports player, even if it's opening up your – financial institution app and being like dang mm-hmm. that's joy so yeah you have to be able to find some sort sort of it um in any sport i think because you're going to burn yourself out if you don't have you know the mental break like there is you can have the balance between you know i'm going balls to the walls anytime in between the lines on the court and then i also find other you know pursuits and i can check my mind and just be happy about my performance but if you just have this on all the time thing like it's gonna it's gonna you just can't keep that up you know it's it's gonna burn you the hell out of you and you you know who personified taking the the break (laughs) during these hectic competitive times Dennis (laughs) Rodman The 48-hour Vegas break not only is revolutionary, I think every single entity needs to incorporate the 48-hour Vegas law. To a point where it was driving him insane. (laughs) So when Scotty came back, Dennis wanted to take a vacation. (laughs) I come to practice, Phil calls me and says, Dennis wants to tell you something. When Dennis wants to tell me something, I know it's not something that I don't want to hear. <laughs> so Dennis says, I need a vacation. And I look at Phil and say, Phil, what do you mean? Vacation? He says, you need a vacation. You need some time off to let loose. I say, look, Phil, let me tell you something, man. I'm not, uh, if anybody needs a vacation, I need a vacation. <laughs> we look at Dennis and say, Dennis, what, what are you going to do? He says, well, I need to go to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Phil. You let this dude go to vacation, we're not going to see him. You let him go to Vegas, we definitely not going to see him. So De- he looks at Dennis and says, Dennis, well, can your vacation be like 48 hours? And Dennis is like, I got no other choice. I take whatever you can give me. I take the 48 hours. <laughs> he went like, AWOL, too. Like, he, he didn't come right back at 48 <laughs> hours. Jordan and them had to pull him out of bed with Carmen Electra. They're like, uh, Dennis, we need you to come practice now. <laughs> Bro, imagine going to your boss and say, look, 
I just need 48 hours. I need Las Vegas. I need you to understand. Mm-hmm. And then your boss is like, all right, cool. So you're going to get back. Like, imagine the the freedom that has. Like, That's crazy, <laughs> Another reason why players love Phil right there. Mm-hmm. No other coach. No other coach would let, let anyone do that. And we and LeBron has gotten criticized before for, for like, in the Miami seasons. Like, he would – or, no, the Cleveland seasons when he first went back. He disappeared to Miami for a week, like, around his birthday. Like, I think he did two seasons in a row. Mm-hmm. And, like, oh, LeBron wasn't playing these games because uh, he, he uh, has something going on. And, like, the rumor mill was that he was in Miami and he took his family and everything else. Like, even LeBron is still doing this. So, I mean, it takes a special kind of coach to do that. And we might be getting to a point, hopefully, where, I mean, it's easy fodder for, you know, critics and folks just to be like, to shit on him for doing that. But, like, at some point, mm-hmm. the, tide, the, tide, the tide is coming back where, is it a vacation in optics? Yes, but also it's a vacation from a lot of things. And... We need that, especially when you're living like I'm. T- I'm taking a vacation once all this shit ends. I don't know where it's going to be, but I got to get out of. <laughs> got to go somewhere, you know. Yeah, I might have right. to might have to drive like ten hours to get there or something. But just like I just want to go and look at something and not care about things. And the, especially those dudes that you know the pressures on professional athletes. Like I think maybe that we're coming back to the tide where it's not stigmatized as much. Like oh, he quit on his team in the middle of you know ten meaningless games against the you know, nuggets in December, like get out of here. Like, I think some of that is starting to come, maybe come back toward the athletes and being okay with this type of stuff for all of us, for athletes and people. We all need the vacation from ourselves. Like that's like, Mm -hmm. that's what we need. Uh, But actually staying on to the joy aspect of it. It's actually, I think the biggest thing that, um, that Stephen Curry has criticism for is it's funny like i think people when he's off the court and he's giving like interviews and like talking and stuff he's like super he like comes off as being sincere he comes off as being like you know eloquent but when he's on the floor like and he's like he he swishes a half court three-pointer to close out the, the second quarter and he's like shouting at the top of his lungs he's dapping he's flexing like yeah he looks like a fucking asshole but you can tell, like, he is literally, like, enjoying the game mm-hmm. of basketball. And so I think that was actually really sort of shocking to people to see people, like, flex and enjoy the game that they're playing, like, that much. Like, for myself, like, I – for me, like, I've never seen ball players have as much fun as that 2015 run. Like, the 2015 and 2016 run that the Warriors were on, like – like I'm looking at the highlights of the 2015 season when they first won their first title, and a lot of it is just like them celebrating with each other after a basket's gone in or after a game is won. Mm-hmm. Like yep. you don't like we're we're trained to sort of uh, think of like celebrating in that sort of way as like bad sportsmanship, and there is I'll admit like there's definitely a thin line of that, and I think Steph has definitely crossed it a lot of times, but at the same time it's like. If your coach tells you this is a game that you need to have fun with, why would you do anything less than that? Like, mm-hmm. if you, like, I know if I just had the ability to where I can sink half court shots, like, at a moment's notice, like, I would just do it just for the fun of it. And, like, you can tell, like, Steph does that in game. <laughs> 
And like I said, like the line is kind of blurred between, you know, having fun and being a bad sportsman. Um, which like I said before, like I think Seth does cross it, but at the same time, like I don't think he's doing it as far as being like a complete asshole. I think, yeah, like some of it does come across as that, but I do think like he's living in a moment of enjoying like I'm like the best shooter in NBA history. I just watched him grab a rebound over Dwight Howard when Dwight Howard was with Houston and he lobbed it and got the end on, on fucking 6'10 Dwight Howard. Like <laughs> I would like I'm fucking six foot tall. I've never even done anything close to athletic as that in my life. But I, w- I think that having the fun in the game is why those warrior teams I think I think it gave him an edge over a lot of these other teams. Like, I think we talk to teams and being honest, playing with like LeBron James, playing with Michael Jordan. I don't think there's a lot of fun in those games. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like. I think the locker room when it smells like champagne and they won the last game of the season, that is the joy of it. But Kerr was a really big proponent of enjoying it while you're in the moment, not waiting. And so I think they did a hell of a job with that. Yeah, to take, to yeah, take I, it to to take it to like a I mean like a football you know Brett Favre. I agree. I mean who who ever looked looked like they enjoyed playing football more than Brett Favre, and he still went out there three hundred games in a row and busted his ass every time too. Like didn't t- had the intensity, had the competitiveness, but also had fun at the same time. Like it is possible. Was there anything that you found revealing, Kellen, or did we already pretty much cover it from the Steve Kerr chapter? I found this enjoyable. The part where, uh, like, not too long ago, it was like March 2019, Kerr read something about the Bucks being similar to the 14, 15 Warriors, and he threw his phone. Like, I love how we're just talking about all this joy, but at the same time, he can he can take the time to get mad about little things, and it really bother him. So <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Hey. Hey, yeah, you. You like comic books, anime, and stuff? Sure you do. Who the hell doesn't? And that's why you should listen to a podcast called Fresh. It's like audio cliff notes of ancient texts painstakingly translated by us for you. So do yourself a favor. Like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Trust me, we're everywhere. So don't forget, it's a podcast called Fresh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and anywhere podcasts are casted. What kind of forever? Let's kind of pivot to the Sneaker Wars chapter, yes. which for me, like, um, I don't know about you, George, but uh, I'm definitely super, super big into sneakers. Um, I've I've always grown up like just loving sneakers and being an adult and like really sort of like getting into the sneaker culture. Um, it's something that I uh, have. I think that's like kind of the last remnants of my childhood that I still <laughs> enjoy on a regular <laughs> basis. Um, so I think the I think the Sneaker Wars chapter is actually pretty insightful as far as um, at least pieces of what could have uh, driven a wedge in between Steph and KD. Um, but I I kind of do remember um, even in the the 2015 finals. Uh, when it was kind of like the UA versus Nike sort of thing, uh, particularly on social media. Um, do you guys remember the night when <laughs> that white KD shoe came on Twitter and like everyone was roasting it? 
Oh my God, mm. man! Everybody, nobody liked that shoe. That <laughs> shoe was disgusting. I I don't think the shoe was that bad, really. I think it was. I think it looked like a if you were like a nurse, but you wanted to hoop in in between your lunch breaks. Like it looked like that, but I don't think it was as bad as the TL said. But it got flamed, like nonetheless. Yeah, that that doesn't make me want to buy a shoe. <laughs> that doesn't make me want to buy a shoe at all. Nope. Oh man. So I think the I think reading the the um Sneaker Wars chapter, it is interesting to think about how uh you know, we talk about Chris Bosch whenever he went to the Heat, he was gonna take a a depleted role from his days in Toronto. And whenever Kate uh Kevin Love went to the Cavs, you know, he was gonna take a backseat role to what he was experiencing in Minnesota. But I don't think I think we kind of expected Steph to take a a depleted role when KD joined, but as far as the numbers aspect, especially with Under Armour, like um I didn't expect that at all. I I thought I assumed that like because Steph was still the most popular person in Oakland, he would still be able to propel Under Armour, but. Um, whenever they lost the finals, like the Armour stock, you know, it didn't fully tank, but it definitely lost like a lot of value in it. Um, I think that do you guys? I think do you guys remember even when Under Armour was still like just sort of this sleepy, um, just athletic gear, athletic training sort of company? Like, mm-hmm. do you guys remember? We must protect this house. Yes. <laughs> Click clack. <laughs> like, it's us versus them. Yeah. We must protect this house. Will you protect this house? I will. I will. That's the biggest memory of um of Under Armour that I used to have of them. Um, like. I remember the. I remember actually being sort of like proud of. Okay, yeah, this company from from Maryland. You know, um, they're doing okay, but it's definitely not Nike. It's not Adidas. It wasn't even Reebok. Like, it was just something that if you wanted to, like, work out in, like, you just saw people in Under Armour clothes. Like, that was basically it. Um, It wasn't anything more than that. Um, George, what was your relationship growing up uh, with sneakers? So this, this chapter is excellent for a lot of reasons. So growing up, I didn't have much awareness and then at some point now in my later life, I realized that I owned a pair of red and black Air Monarchs because my, my high school colors, we were high, were red and black. And like now I go into the Nike outlet and I told my roommate, I'm like, man, I had these <laughs> when I was in high school because <laughs> those were our shoes. But like I was I was unfortunately just getting, you know, the d- generic ass Nike or Adidas shoes. K-Swiss had I had some K-Swiss in high school. They had a moment. I don't I think I don't think you can buy a pair of K-Swiss anymore, but I had some tennis <laughs> some K-Swiss tennis shoes cuz I played tennis and everything. Those were the days. But I'm into this stuff now. I don't have as many as I'd you know, I got a couple Air Force 1s. I got my one pair of black and gold Air Jordans, Pittsburgh style Air Jordans, but I need like I need I need another colorway in that. I got a pair of Hirachis, I got a pair of Air Max. Um but my roommate uh, is is a reseller so he's like really in wow. tune with with all this stuff 
And so we go and we go to Potomac Mills in Virginia and some other stores and go and do sourcing runs. And I say we because he, I, I drive. He doesn't have a car, so I drive him down there, and then I just get to watch the process. George is the plug. George is the plug. I'm the guy, I'm the guy driving, got the the big trunk with all the boxes in it. And so it's funny because in Potomac Mills, in the it's like you know outlet mall style. The the Nike and it's a Nike clearance store too, so everything in there you know is is on clearance, not just a regular Nike outlet. The, the Nike store is directly across from the Under Armour store, and you walk through the Nike store, and it's popping, and there's a hu- whole bunch of people in there shopping for you know everything under the sun, and then you go over to the Under Armour store, and it's kind of sad looking. And this yeah. chapter hits on it perfectly because Under Armour, this this time this was Under Armour's peak. So them, because Marcus is right that the, it was you know a predominantly performance driven athletic company so if you're a weightlifter if you're a football player if you need tactical sweat wicking moisture wicking performance gear you went to under armor and they were given the credit they were the first in the you know athletic gear industry to to have products like that and now nike has its version of dry fit and adidas has you know some different versions of stuff but under armor was the first and so they go from that to, well, let's see if we can build this into a brand and compete. And they did do that for a while. And I don't want to say their signings are misguided, but it was a combination of banking on the wrong people and unfortunate mishaps. So Jordan Spieth, Under Armour athlete, won a couple of, of major golf tournaments, but that's kind of petered out for them. He's still with Under Armour. They've got to deal with the Rock. So if you go into an Under Armour store, you see a bunch of Rock apparel. Um, obviously Steph Curry, but man, they released those chef Curry shoes and they look like it's Under Armour's version of Air Monarchs, man. That's, that's what it looks like. And the Air Monarchs now have this weird cachet as a dad shoe, but it's cool to wear it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ironically cool to wear a dad shoe. Now, Greg Popovich during the, when they were in the Olympics, when he was coaching the Olympic team, wore Air Monarchs, and everybody's like, look, Pop's got Air Monarchs on. And so. They miss with the Chef Curry, and then I highlighted this part that I thought was interesting, that Under Armour stock the day before Curry injured his MCL was $47, and then in the in the finals that year, on the opening night of the next season, Under Armour stock went down to $16, and like as of, like I checked on Friday, as of this week, like Under Armour stock is under $10, so, <sighs> and, and Kevin Plank, I believe, has since... Um, stepped down as head of the company or some type. There have been some you know, shifts in management at Under Armour because they do need a new direction. He built it. He's a UMD guy. He built it kind of from nothing, started it. They've got the, con- you know, they got the contract at Maryland for all the stuff. He helped create that M logo with the flag and everything. And they've got you know, some deals. I think, I think uh, Notre Dame is an Under Armour school. A couple other schools are Under yeah. Armour schools um, college-wise. But they've really struggled to gain traction in – the you know the greater sports consciousness i mean nike's a behemoth but adidas you know with yeezy and some other offerings adidas has gained market share against nike and under armor hasn't been able to do that and then the latest kind of the latest thing and then i'll pivot it to you guys is they were under armor had the contract for major league baseball so they were going to do the new oh, and everything for major league baseball and something happened in the last year and a half and Under Armour quietly like is no longer the Major League Baseball apparel. So next season, and we're this coming season, whenever it happens, is the first with Nike 
as the official outfitter of Major Baseball. Yeah. So they've got, and for the first time, you're going to see like the swoosh on the front of jerseys next to, you know, like Pirates and Nationals and everything like that. Um, So I I, I am a Nike guy, but that looks so gross on a Major League Baseball uniform. It's weird because it was on the Majestic hat and it was on the sleeve before and it was going to be Under Armour. And basically it sounds like from what I've read that just Under Armour didn't have the capital to kind of keep making it going and it wasn't going to work out. And so Nike stepped in and they baseball renegotiated and now it's a Nike thing. So Under Armour, unfortunately, their moment to try and capitalize on this stuff was with the Curry Curry at his peak there during those finals runs. And because of that weird shoe offering and because of some other things, it just hasn't worked out for them. Yeah, man, I, like I said, I'm a big Nike guy, but Nike's really about putting the swoosh anywhere it can. <laughs> and I think uh, like even putting, you know, how the NBA jerseys have like the advertising on the front of the chest now. Yeah. I, I do think the swoosh on the front of the MOB jersey is like really tacky. It's weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but going back, um, Kellen, um, what were sort of your history with sneakers? Uh, I want to give the the total sneakers that I have right now, Jordans, which is gross, but, <laughs> but it's just funny. Cause, it's, uh, cause whenever George just said he has the, um, black and yellow Jordan ones, I know specifically which Jordan ones he's referencing without <laughs> getting even more information from him. Like that's how better in the sneaker culture I am. But Kellen, what about you? What is sort of your history, uh, with sneaks growing up? My history with shoes um, probably started a few years after I started watching the NBA, which is like 90 to 93 season. So the first ones I remember really grabbing me were like the first pair of Grand Hills by, by Fila. Because <laughs> uh, with Jordan not being in the league, Grand Hill was like one of my favorite players to watch. And so I was I was like really liked his shoes. I was not somebody who wanted those shoes, but I was just like, man, I really like how those shoes look. But I have to say that after – Jordan came back for that first full season in 95-96. First shoes I ever was, like, real big on was the Jordan 11s, man. I was like, oh, my God, these shoes are amazing. I want them so bad. Dad, can I get the Jordan 11s? And it wasn't a matter of of, um, of us not having it. My, my father just wasn't going to spend 100 and whatever they were, 112 years old, 13 years old and stuff. But I really didn't get my into being a sneaker sneakerhead until it was uh, Iverson's first shoe that came out. It was the question and my mom got me got me a pair of those before I went to college and then after that I was off and running because I had refund money and so <laughs> I started buying all kinds of shoes out of that and it was a period like from 2001 until probably around 20 at least 2010 2011 that I was just all about getting me a nice pair of new shoes and I, I went through some shoes I tore them up uh but uh yeah, man, I, I still look fondly at shoes, and I'm like, man, I wish I had the guts to spend some money on these shoes right now. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'd say I, I am a low-level sneakerhead at this point, but I know a little bit of the history now. Like the um, from like I said, like I've always been, you know, fascinated by the sneaker culture and sneakers overall because I've always been into basketball. Um, mm-hmm. the first the first pair of Jordans actually I got um was in elementary school when the Jordan 14s came out uh they were they were black with a little bit of like neon green in them 
Um, so I've always actually loved that pair. I actually I got a pair when they came back out like a couple of years ago. Um, right now, my <laughs> if you include like sneaks that I have like in storage uh, back in uh, back in Maryland, I think I'm at about like a 90 mark for shoes. Um, right now I have like in like in like my home in San Antonio, I think I have like 34 Jordans. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I'm so Man. jealous. I hate you so much. Okay. When, I mean, when, when's, when's the complex video coming, Marcus? We got to show the collection <laughs> off. We got to show the collection. Actually, the funny thing is, like, of even of just my cousins, like, my cousins have like way more than I do, which is which is really wild to kind of think about. Like the oldest pair of shoes that I have, which I don't think they're wearable, but in 2002, a pair of low white and Carolina blue Jordan sixes oh. came out. It was a low cut, and they were never worn. So I think if I wear them now, they'll probably get like completely destroyed. But in high school, uh, when I was in high school, the Jordan 17s came out. The I think that was like. 2002-2003 they were the white and blue and black ones Um, those still actually are holding up so those still actually are good but I have like like I said I have like 35 in total which is uh, (laughs) which is really (laughs) bad (laughs) but like I said there's like way more people that have way more than I do but for me it's kind of just about buying what I like not buying in bulk Um, right because some people, it's it's kind of weird to think about, but some people just sort of buy sneakers just for the status of it, as opposed to like buying the sneaker because they actually like it. They like it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are people that will buy like Yeezys that are uncomfortable, uh, and I'll be frank, there are actually Jordan models that actually are not very comfortable to wear if you don't, if you don't lace them tightly enough. They're actually pretty oh, uncomfortable God. to wear. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, but um, I'm definitely at a point of buying what I like and not not being a beast to the culture or whatever. Um, but the Sneaker Wars chapter, it did kind of um, give me the idea to talk about something beyond kind of like the Katie versus Steph idea. Because um, I'm assuming everyone, well, I know Kellen is, but I'm assuming, George, you're also watching like The Last Dance, right? Oh, yeah, same time. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. So, it's give me it gives me the, the perspective of, of how Kirk kind of got, you know, some of that background knowledge and everything. Yeah. So in the last dance, we're seeing like basically a lot of Jordans during like the Jordan war, like during his Chicago days. Um, but Dan Levitar, he kind of brought up this question um, this week, this past week about how he questioned, did Jordan save Nike or did Nike save Jordan? Because if you, if you know a little bit of history of, uh, Jordan and, you know, his choosing of what sneaker company to go to, uh, in college, um, going into the pros, he, I believe he was initially going to sign with, um, Adidas, but he chose to go with Nike after the Jordan one and the Jordan two came out, which it's kind of like people, may not understand this now that may be hard to fathom but the air jordan one which is a shoe that's like super popular today it sells out whenever it comes out today the jordan one wasn't necessarily super popular like you can actually buy a pair of jordan ones 
in the original colorways on sale and like multiple times over. Like, um, I remember it's even like you can buy a pair of Jordan one for fifty dollars. Like, in oh, the like, oh, like it actually even in high school, like if you if you're being real about it, like when in like the early two thousands, like I'm talking about two thousand one, two thousand two, and two thousand. Like you can actually buy good Jordans on sale and like your local malls across America, like um the black and blue Jordan ones when they retroed in two thousand, uh two thousand two, I believe. Um, you can cop those on sale from East Bay, um from the from the actual East Bay magazine when magazines were still a thing. Uh you can actually buy quality J's like on sale, whatever. But um, I want to ask you guys because I know my answer, but um, George, I'll start with you. So this idea, uh, Lebertar believes that Jordan did save Nike, but I think it was, I think it was actually a pretty good marriage of everyone involved. Not only Nike introducing Tinker Hatfield to start designing the Jordan 3, which revolutionized and basically saved Jordan to stay with the company. Michael Jordan was Nike's big star. He was unhappy with some of his early shoes and was getting close to leaving. Nike leadership and Phil Knight, Nike CEO, told me I was designing the next Air Jordans. I don't think I understood the gravity of the situation, you know, how important Michael Jordan was to Nike. It was six months behind schedule by the time it was given to me. So had to be another hurry up, no sleep for, for weeks and months, traveling back and forth to Asia with all the developers and uh, getting a prototype in. We were gonna have a big meeting with Michael Jordan, Phil Knight, myself, head of sports marketing, both of Michael's parents. Michael didn't show up for four hours. He was actually on the golf course with some other people, and they had convinced him he should just jump ship. But ultimately, Michael shows up, and he was kind of in a bad mood, came in and just said, well, what do you got? Mm-hmm. And all the, all the designs that Tinker Hatfield um, produced while at Jordan. But would you, do you think that Nike saved Jordan and Nike would have did this eventually with anyone they would have got? Or do you think um, Jordan really was the really one to save Nike? Jordan saves Nike, but I'm going to use the word that Jordan accentuates Nike because Nike, you know, Nike's based in Beaverton, Oregon. Nike starts, Nike is a running company. Nike is named after the Greek goddess or whatever, or God of, you know, whatever. Um, And it's, it's a, you know, that part of the country, Oregon is where they have the, you know, the national track and field championships every year. Like Nike starts as a running company, but arguably today, Nike is a basketball, more so known as a basketball and lifestyle company. And Mm -hmm. the life, the lifestyle part comes from, from, from Mike, put it this way, Michael Jordan and his star power with the six championships. Now he probably doesn't make the as much bank as he does with nike and maybe the styles aren't as widespread and well appreciated by the culture greater the larger culture of america you say michael jordan and people know him more for the shoes and the some people know him more for the shoes and the clothes than for playing basketball maybe that doesn't happen if he doesn't stay with nike but jordan still would have commanded a whole bunch of money from Adidas or Puma or whoever Reebok or whoever the heck it was. But 
maybe not to the status level of transcending basketball and becoming his own brand entity. Brand Jordan probably doesn't exist the way it exists today if he's with another company. So in that saying it that way, I think he does not necessarily save Nike, but he takes Nike to a stratospheric level to become this global because I mean, go into go into a Nike store, go to Nike.com, and it's it's the fashion they've, tra- they've transitioned into the streetwear and lifestyle more so than just making. They still make the performance clothes and they still do basketball and all the other sports, tennis and now baseball. But they, for for most people who are going to encounter Nike, they're not going to encounter it as. A, they don't they don't approach it with a I'm buying, you know, clothes designed for sport. They're buying clothes designed for going out and just wearing. So, yeah, we're in the athleisure era now. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think Jordan has a lot to do with that. And I think he ex, he turns Nike maybe not necessarily saves it, but he, he, he helps create this modern day behemoth of just being um, a, a lifestyle brand more so even than the sports. I really feel like without that marketing in place, I don't know. I don't feel like Nike would be as big without Jordan. Like there would be other athletes they could have used, but I, I, I just feel like they just had to have that one icon and like magic and bird war converse is like their whole career. And they never did anything for Converse. and not to say they didn't anything for Converse. I mean, Converse obviously sold uh, millions of shoes and they were like mm-hmm. the most popular basketball shoe for years and years. But like, you don't think Larry Bird and think, Magic Johnson and then Converse. That's like the, maybe the 20th thing you might think about when it comes to them. Like when you think Michael Jordan, his shoes are like in the top five that you think about them. Um, so I, I really feel like it's just a difference from what those other legends were able to do when they came into the league. And it helps that Jordan's a phenomenal athlete and he starts winning championships and he wins another gold medal and he just put, keeps putting on these accolades. And then the commercials are so fun with like the Spike Lee commercial and the Bugs Bunny commercial and just everything else. And then with him already having these other endorsement deals where his face is everywhere, like Wheaties again, you talk mm-hmm. about Haynes, you talk about um, he used to be a Coke sponsor back in the day. All that stuff that was was helping Nike in the long run because their guy is on TV, even if he's not hawking their um, product in that moment. Yeah, because even if you think about when I was saying even the marriage of like Nike and Jordan, like the Mars Blackman character you know that, that Spike Lee had, me, if, if he's Blackman, holding a pair of rim, random Adidas shoes and not like the you know Air game? Jordan 4s. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? That's I right. think that's Air something Jordan, that is, is not as pop culture. Mike, what's up? And like I said, Tinker Hatfield, uh, Tinker Hatfield was with Nike, and he designed everything up from the Jordan three up until mm-hmm. the Jordan fifteen, and the and so those all like the Jordan eleven, like we all love, like um, like he you know had the hand in and you know creating that um, the Jordan two. Like, it was a shoe that was actually kind of expensive to make. Uh, the original Jordan 2 was made from, like, some important, uh, imported Italian leather. Some, <laughs> some, And it was a shoe that it didn't particularly sell well. So it wasn't something that Nike necessarily, like, made and ballooned a lot, a lot of money off. Uh, but when the Jordan 3, when they hired Tinker to design the Jordan 3, not only did he design the actual Jordan 3, he actually designed the the streetwear to go with it. So he designed and had in the meeting with Jordan, he presented he presented Jordan with the actual model of the Jordan three. And he also presented like 
people in warm-ups and like the the Jordan 3 gear that came along with it. I'm more of a, uh, you got to actually show me the shoe. You know, he storytells and then he draws and then, he, you know, he shows me all the, uh, the pictures of it. And I still can't visualize it until you put it in my hand. I pulled the shroud off the shoe and there it was right in front of him. Phil Knight sitting there on pins and needles. His parents are over there. He looks at the shoe and looks at me and he goes, tell me more. And I said, remember when we talked about how you wanted a mid-cut and no one had ever done a mid-cut height for a basketball shoe. It's just what you wanted. Remember when we talked about how the shoes should already feel like they're broken in and perfect to wear when they're brand new right out of the box? This shoe is made out of really soft leathers. It's reinforced in the right places, but when you put this on, it's going to be like glove leather and it's just going to fit great. And then remember picking some new materials that no one had ever seen on a basketball shoe before. And so that elephant print. When he told me about the leather itself and the uh, elephant print, things of that nature, you know, he kind of won me over. I said, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and I had, without him even knowing it, I had designed an entire collection of apparel to go with that shoe. And the models were ready to come in. It was like the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. He started off this next season in this Air Jordan 3. And that was the year that Mission Control ready for launch. Then he won the slam dunk contest. And there's that famous shot of him taking off from the free throw line wearing those Air Jordan 3s. That was a rush. I think to this day, Phil Knight actually really thinks I helped save Nike. And so Jordan saw the vision of, like, this is like a revolutionary looking shoe. And not only is it fly as hell, the gear with it is fly as hell too. So it's it's like a marriage of like all those things. And so Tinker Hatfield going in this magnificent run of designing these good shoes. And actually at the same time, like Jordan didn't win initially. Like in the in the early models, Jordan didn't win a championship. He didn't win his first title until the Jordan sixes. And so right. and so everything from one through five. Jordan's building this legacy of who he is. And so it's becoming like a really popular um, shoe because not only does it look good, but Jordan is Michael Jordan. And then when the Jordan six comes um, then and he wins a championship, uh, that basically starts the streak of like, you know, Jordan being this pop culture guy. And by the time Jordan 11 comes, which, you know, Kellen said that was like, you know, a shoe that he definitely wanted and it was very expensive. So, mm-hmm. so I can see why his dad didn't buy it for him. But um, when the Jordans 11 came out, like, like it was such like a thunderstruck moment, like the patent leather, like shining, oh. like the clear soul, like that was a shoe that like really was the shoe to, but be, beyond like the Jordan three, like, I think that was the shoe like to say like if you have this like you have status like like that was like the one i feel like was the really jumping off point like they all were in honesty because of the price point but i think that was the shoe that sort of catapulted it you can you can rock the you can rock the 11s with a suit man like that's how how it's a versatile you know just that shine like it's got that's it it just pops it just pops with anything and it immediately draws your attention to it so it, it you can pull it off with pretty much anything Shout out to boys and men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so I think, like I said, the marriage of like all those coming into place, like 
I think that's what was super important. And that's actually bringing back to Steph. Like Steph was in a moment of that with Under Armour. Like he was becoming the mm-hmm. face of the league. Um, and I'll honestly, like other than those Chef Curry sneakers, like the other Curry is actually pretty decent looking basketball shoe. Um, I I would actually say like there was like a couple of models. I think it may have been. I don't remember which one. It may have been the stuff four, but there actually some models that in there. Like, if you took the the UA logo off of it and you put the Nike swoosh on it, like it would sell. So I think you know people you know looking at the UA logo is kind of like yeah because you know the the check swoosh it does have a sort of a status symbol to it, and even right now the Adidas uh, resurgence not only with uh, Yeezy, but also just the invention of Ultra Boost, mm. and then and then Pharrell Williams getting into play, and then pushing it to a lifestyle brand. Because yep. now, like yeah, like we're definitely in the athleisure era where you're wearing, um, you know, Adidas, you're wearing Nike, uh, you're you're wearing these brands, and it's you're not going to the gym, like you're going to hang out with your friends, like you're going to pregame, like you're, like you're doing social things and, and Nike tech police now. Um, so, so yeah, I think we're getting into, we are in the era of like, it's acceptable to wear those things. And I, I hate wearing jeans now. I like, if I can have, <laughs> if I have a life where I never wear jeans anymore, I can just wear sweats for, top, for the rest of my life. I would feel very happy about that. <laughs> see i can't wear sweats like that if I'm, if I'm home i'll wear sweats but I, I don't i've never found a pair of sweats that i'm comfortable with being out in public in i'm always a shorts or jeans guy nike. Not, go to the nike stores where i get mine <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're not comfortable no. wearing sweats in public man i got a reputation man <laughs> oh oh <laughs> i got i gotta look a certain way oh oh okay i was thinking of something else I was thinking you were trying to advertise out in these streets. Never mm. mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you can wear, like, if you want to get fitted, you can get, like, well, George, I've been trying to pressure Kellen to buy, like, random Jordans that I see on sale, like, randomly. Yeah. Uh, There's a couple of months ago, I've been, I was trying to get um, Kellen to buy these Jordan 13s that were black and, like, the the, you know Tiffany Company, like the diamond company, yeah. like yeah, they, were. they were black and Tiffany, and mm. they were on sale for like I think they're like one twenty, and I was trying to get Kellen to buy them, uh, but oh, for whatever reason, yeah, but for whatever reason, Kellen decided to be a responsible adult and not buy them. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you, Kellen. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I have I have things that I need to put money towards, and I can't always do shoes. To. I, I, need, are, I need new shoes. They keep throwing, you know, twenty percent oh, off. Twenty percent off isn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> I want. They got percent off. Like, say, say the shoes are one hundred and twenty dollars. That's that's still one hundred dollars essentially. So it's still. I can't do it. They've got a pair of Jordan. Man. They got a pair of Jordan ones that I'm waiting to see go on sale. That it's. I think it's in the red. I think the main colorway is red, but. They've got like images of newspaper stories with him and it's on like the toe and on the sidewall and everything of the shoe. Oh, and wow. it's just kind of a really cool look to it. Um, 
And so that's that's the next one on my end. But no, I I I, I hear you. It's, it's hard to look in. They got to come. You know it's, why? It's got to drop. It's got to drop under a hundred before I start. Like seriously, it's like oh they're at ninety. I'm like oh man, I can get them at ninety instead of like one twenty five. Like then then my ears start going up on the about yeah, it. Yeah, so. man, it's it's hard being responsible. <laughs> it's hard because because the problem for me, man. I once dropped three hundred dollars on a pair on the phone pods of one retros as soon as they came out, and Whoa. that's like the biggest shoe I have ever ever bought, and I still have them to this day. And the soles need glued a little bit, but like after that, that was like the biggest thing ever, and and that was like refund check money. And then I told, I remember I told Angel Tom, I was like, yeah, I just I just spent uh three, what was that, two hundred ninety three dollars on these shoes off of buy now on eBay. She's like, you spent how much money on shoes? I was like. Two hundred ninety-three dollars. <laughs> She's Ooh. like, how much on shoes? Two hundred ninety-three dollars, and probably not my best move considering, like, I think they retroed in '06 or '07, mm-hmm. and we were like a couple years in at that point dating. And she probably had been thinking maybe I'd spend some my refund check on a ring, and I didn't. I spent it on some phone posits. Nice. <laughs> so your boy was not ready to get married back then because. He can't even be responsible enough not to uh, to not buy $300 shoes just because he has to have these phone posits retros because he always wanted phone posits since he first laid eyes on them. Was was it the Penny Hardaway colorway? Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was the yeah. OG. Uh-huh. The OG. Yeah, uh, I had I had those, too. You know, the, even going back to, like, sneakers that aren't comfortable – yeah, those phones are just not comfortable at all, man. Like that, like they're just. Oh, not, I hate. Yeah, like they're, they're like they're not comfortable. Yeah, and so I, I've definitely actually the funny thing is, um, there was like a pair of of phone posits that actually I could have I could actually buy. It's like a a couple of years ago Nike had this pack of, it was a phone posit Pro Pearl, the one that um. If you remember, he got game. It's the one that Jesus is running to the bus stop with in the beginning of the movie. He's like running through like the hoods or whatever, and he meets like Rosario Dawson at the bus stop. The 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 foams that he's wearing in that Nike put put that shoe and also another shoe and he got game in a package. And I could actually buy that shoe and the package shoe for like probably less than three hundred dollars, which. If you're saying, well, yeah, like each shoe is like less than 150 bucks, like that's not that bad, but right. the, the foams are just so uncomfortable that like I think I'll, I'll never wear foams again. Like they just don't, like they're like they hug your feet too much. Uh, mm-hmm. They 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 make this weird like clank sound. Like like they don't yes. feel comfortable to walk in either. <laughs> like it's like walking in porcelain. Like <laughs> like they're just not. A, yeah. I think the price point is so high is because the model that they used initially, it was it was something that they had to like basically manufacture, and I think technically the shoe is durable. So if you're playing like if you're like a center or a power forward, like Marquise Morris plays in the, in the foams a lot, like it's a pretty durable shoe. But if you're just like going about your day, like there's like plenty of way better shoes to actually wear. <laughs> yeah, like. I have a pair of 12s, but my feet are always killing me when I take them off into the, the day. Um, I've worn, I've had them since 2006, 2007, and I've worn them less than 75 times, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> and then um, 
and I, I'd even tried on a pair of 13s because uh, my boy Ed had he got the 13s and he got his for cheaper because he lived in Maryland at the time. And he's like, yeah, I got these for blah. blah. I'm like, shut up. I had to get them, but they're just slipping too much on me. So they they the original OGs are not comfortable. The most comfortable basketball shoe I ever wore in my entire life was the Nike Air, um, more up tempos. The OG black uh, black with the white trim. I had apparently first retro, and they were so comfortable. I literally ran mm. a hole through the sole wearing them because I love them Man. so much. Mm. And yeah, but they're so comfortable. No problems with those. And then the most uncomfortable shoe I ever squeezed my foot into was a pair of Jordan 11 grays that I got from this discount Jordan shoe kiosk. They used to be in the Morgan Stanley. I got them for oh, yeah, like, they were fake. I think I paid they like maybe fake. $95. They were fake. They were, they were fake. 100% fake. They were fake. Uh, but they didn't fit me right. They said they were 12s. They were probably more close to 11 and a half. But I wore the hell out of those too. But they were done. Actually, the the Jordan Eleven actually, the Jordan Eleven actually overall, if you if you have it laced too loosely, the Jordan Eleven is actually not very comfortable. Um, the I have like four pairs of Elevens right now, um, so I have I don't I don't like I I know you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't. I ha- I don't like lacing my shoes very tightly, but I have to lace them to to be comfortable. I think I think because the eleven in the sole of it, I think they have pockets of of um of cushion that if you have your foot loose in it, it doesn't give you like the actual appropriate place of where your foot should be cushioned. So it mm-hmm. it's, it sucks, but uh, and that's why I boost. Boost has actually got popular, and that's why Boost um, is actually is really good shoe to buy. Like I, I got a couple of weeks ago, I got a pair of Boost for like 120 um, because Boost is like completely comfortable to walk in, and it's like a sock-like um, netting that hugs over your foot, so you can have it even super tight so that you can run in. And actually, Boost is a running shoe. Ultra Boost are running shoes, but people don't know that. But like you can you can have them super tight, you can have them laced loosely, and it's still a good shoe. To, like the as far as comfort to walk in. Um, after so, after the show, I need a recommendation because like I go into the Adidas outlet and I'm just staring and I got no clue like what the difference between one <laughs> and the other one is, man. <laughs> like so, I'm just like I, I need you're, a good... you're talking to the right man. You're talking to the right <laughs> man. You have to kind of consider. You have to consider not only your foot but also your size. Mm-hmm. So you need something that you need. For me, for example, like I'm a bigger guy, so I like shoes that are more lightweight, and I also like shoes that have a lot of comfort to them. But also, you need something that is not. You kind of want to think about your function. So for me, like actually, the funny thing is we're talking about like Jordans and stuff, but my actual type of favorite shoe is running shoes, like. Like the um like ninety eighties and nineties Nike runners are my favorite type of shoe. Um so for most shoes I have, like it's always gonna be like low cut. Um you may find some mid cuts. A lot of the Jordans, like the Jordan elevens, Jordan twelves, the Jordan thirteens, those are basically mid cut. Um I don't wear high cut because daddy got calves. And so <laughs> so <laughs> So it's oh, like, 
So it's kind of like um, you, I, for myself, like I don't go super high cut. Like if you remember um, uh, White Man Can't Jump mm-hmm. and the, the, the shoes that Billy Hoyle wore, they're like, they're white cement and they have like lime green in it. Like David Robinson played in those shoes. Like those shoes are super high cut. Like I would never wear those fucking shoes. Like um, if you remember even the Back to the Future shoe, where yeah. like the the Nike Air Mag, like that shoe is like yeah. super high cut. Super, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like so, a boot almost. Yeah, basically. So I don't I don't necessarily like to wear high cut shoes like that. Um, so it's it's kind of like you want to think about not only your comfort but also like what you want to do. So like um it's it's a lot of different variables, but I can get you hip. Like I'll get you hip. I'm trying okay. to get Kellen hip. I'm trying to get Kellen hip. Kellen don't want to listen cuz I tried <laughs> them on and they are super comfortable, but like I'm always there's the one that's got like the huge heel and it's kind of got like this pebbling on it. And I've seen a lot of people wearing them, but like I, I'm a size 12 and I put it on and it looks like I'm wearing like huge ass clogs, you know, and I'm like, I don't know if this is the right thing to be going with. So. <laughs> it's just like, it's um, my problem. Right. Hold on. I'm going to get, I'm going to get on camera to show you specifically because. Oh, um, he's going to stun on this real quick. Okay. Uh, no, it's, it has nothing to do with the stunting of anything. Hold on, I'm going to show you what, like, the boosts, what the different type of boosts they are. Hold on. Okay, I like this. So, Kellen, you don't have any, you don't, you, I mean, I, see, here's the thing, is, like, now it goes into this brand loyalty thing. Like, I don't own any Adidas apparel. Like, you know, my apparel is pretty much all Nike in that regard, like, right. athletic and everything. And it's, like, I can't be out here wearing, you know, I could get away with some Adidas shoes and, like, you know, some shorts in the summertime, maybe, but... What what he what Marcus is saying about the runners for me it's it's now a combination of Air Force Ones I got a Flyknit Air Force One that's super light and comfortable nice. I got uh, I wear with jeans these like black suede Air Force Ones um, that are really nice but then when summer comes around and I know some people like um, like the the Vapor Max I got a I don't find them the most comfortable but I got a pair of Vapor Max Flyknits. And it's it, it, it they're kind of like this pink colorway, and uh-huh. I enjoy that. I enjoy that. Um, I'm a soup. I'm a sucker for South Beach colorways. I got a pair of Hirachis in the South Beach colorway. <laughs> like yeah, my Griffies are South Beaches. Yeah, you my Griffies. Those that last pair of shoes I bought was in Griffey South Beaches. Oh man, I, I got Kellen. those off a of guy off of eBay. Kellen, you remember these? Like- the shoe that I'm showing George and Kellen is the Nike Air Total Max Uptempo. Originally released, it was worn by Reggie Miller of the Indiana Pacers and David Robinson of the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, when David Robinson played on, he had the black and lime green colorway. If you remember the cinematic American classic, I Got the Hookup, Master P wore them with the black and silver Jeff George jersey. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, uh, can you get that out of my face? Please? Actually, but <laughs> you I'll, I'll make you happy. Look, look at the sole. I can't wear them anymore. Like the soles coming uh, in blue. Uh, but they're gonna come out. I think they're gonna come out um, either this year, or next year, and you, you, you know, I'm getting it again. <laughs> yeah. So like, so George. Yeah, George. Yeah. George, your sneaker game's better than mine. Bro. No, no, don't say that. <laughs> it's got so, a bunch of low cut sneakers. Oh, no, it, is. it really is. I have like 
I have like four or five pairs of decent shoes, and that's it. Oh man. So George, so if you see the hill like this, so this is Ultra Boost. This is the this is the 2020 Ultra Boost. Okay. So if you see like the hill pebble yeah. like this, this is the boost. So this is going to be really comfortable. Okay. So the thing is though, for regular for a new boost, they're going to cost like 180ish, mm-hmm. 190, but I got these for 120. So okay. you can find boosts on sale and if you if you see like, like it's like the it's it's knitted together. So it's like super lightweight. It's super mm-hmm. like it's like well that's so line it is is super comfortable and especially like and whatever's going to be of summer here like it's a summer shoe like that, you know, yeah. you can it's just super nice, super easy, goes with anything. I think that's a good that's a good way to go. So like for the so this model of shoe was designed this one was designed in 97 I think. So if you so this shoe right here is designed in like 97. But the thing that makes it comfortable is they have this the um the the 720 sole. Mm-hmm. So if you're bigger like the in the sole you can tell the sole is like pretty thick. And this leather is pretty durable, and it's actually a little bit lightweight, but the sole makes it a little bit heavy. But this shoe is, like, super comfortable to actually wear, but it's not light. Yeah. The the Adidas in the newer shoes, like, the shoe company are sort of – they're trading away, like, material for lightness, but it, it could potentially sacrifice durability. Like, the sock for the Ultra Boost, it's, like, super comfortable to wear – but because it technically is like a sock like texture, like this is only a shoe for running. Like this is not a shoe mm. for doing like if you're doing cuts like basketball, like like and you see like the ankle right here is mm-hmm. gonna sit below your ankle. Like if you play like basketball on this, you like, come right out of it. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna fuck your whole shit up. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> but like so this is like another Adidas like runner I, I picked up. Um, which I got for like I think I got for like forty bucks or something like that. Mm. The sneaker that I'm showing George and Kellett is the Adidas ZX Torsion, and so it's Boost also. So, um, it's kind of hard to see here, but it's Boost technology, mm-hmm. so it's it's lightweight, it's comfortable, and it does have it is a little bit low cut, so it is going to sit below the ankle, but that's what I like. So, and the mesh is like really breathable, so. If this is a shoe I was going to run in, this would be a good shoe to run in. And also because, as you can see, like, I keep my shit, like, super, like, like easy laced. Yeah. So, like, right. I, I slip this on, I just go. Um, and like I said, I got... If you see, when boost, I go looking for shoes like that, I can't find anything like that. Everything I look at is ugly as hell. <laughs> no, like, it's, <laughs> like, it's, it's more so about, like, for buying sneaks, like, which... I think buying, I think shoes are really important because I think they're the only piece of, well, not necessarily the only piece, but I think they're going to be the piece of your fashion that has the ability to be as eclectic as possible. Like if you buy, think of jeans, like the only way to really get jeans to look like anything else is to shred it, to destroy it. Or like in the late nineties, like people like, like putting paint like early 2000s people like putting paint on it or whatever so like jeans you can't you can't can't go a lot of directions with jeans 
t-shirts yeah like you can do like a lot of different design for t-shirts but at the end of the day a t-shirt's gonna look like a a rectangle with two small rectangles coming off the side of it mm-hmm. but, but like these are two completely different looking <laughs> shoes they serve as two completely different functions but i love them both and so depending on what you like what fits you put with it like and depending on like you know the function of it like you can do a lot more with shoes than you can just with like just like a regular t-shirt and uh that's the uh that's my ted talk for sneakers okay <laughs> ultra boost is on the list we got it on the list <laughs> yeah man so it's so where's your What'd you say? I said, where's your curries at? Uh, I'm not buying no curries. <laughs> <laughs> Their prices are whack, man. I mean, you go in there and they ain't even discounting them in the outlets either. And it's like, I ain't paying for this at Under Armour. Get out of here. Yeah. I'm going to try on one of those Project Rock shoes, though. The, the, I want to see what they feel like, to be mm-hmm. honest with y'all. Those, those, some of those curries are, are the plastic, like what Marcus was saying. They're heavy. I mean, obviously you need it for basketball. There's some heavy ass shoes, you know, with all the plastic support they got around the on the sole and around the sides. Damn. Well, like, I'm not gonna lie. If I was, are like that. I, well, I think the like the rock shoes are only gonna be for. Um, you remember in the '90s how like they were introducing like cross trainers. Um, I think the rock shoes are going to be primarily like gym shoes. Like, I don't think they're yeah. going to be shoes that mm-hmm. you're going to want to do a lot of like flat bottom on. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to be really built for running. I would say, in all honesty, not really built for like lasting comfort. As far as like, if you if you want to have them and kind of just wear them for like walking like to places, like I don't think they're built for that. Uh, they're they're probably going to be built more for stability so it is going to be more for like you know the rock obviously he's you know building constantly building and maintaining muscle so it's not i don't think it's going to be it may be lightweight but that is probably because the the uh, materials to be frank they're probably gonna be cheaper materials Mm -hmm. um so it's it's kind of a hit and miss like i think buying the shoes for the aesthetic like that's kind of you know obviously everyone wants to buy like a shoe that looks good or whatever but it, it's it's kind of about what sort of function do you want the shoes to actually serve or whatever so like if you if you kind of think about the new shoes like a lot of the new shoes going back to like the athleisure thing like a lot of new shoes don't look good with jeans so yeah. it's it's predicated on you now you want to buy jogger uh sweats because the 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 rib cuff at the bottom of the jogger that's going to stop at your ankle mm-hmm. so now you have the shoe there and all of its glory um a lot of 90s shoes like yeah like people were just wearing baggy like baggy jeans in the 90s so you had a situation where you can just throw the shoe you can throw the jean over the shoe um it covers like 70 percent of the shoe but no one cared because we can at least see oh yeah you got the jordan 11s on even though you're wearing mom jeans so <laughs> but, but now it's like far as fashion like the whole taper that's why taper is in because um that's why and honestly that's why wale wale was one of the first people 
and then Kid Cudi a little bit after that, and then Kanye after that. Like that's why the skinny jean era applied because Wale was the first rapper to really say, you know, and to make popular, we can get sort of slim cut jeans, not necessarily slim cut, but a better fit cut of jeans. But then the the old fly retro OG sneakers that I have, you'll still see the 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 fly shit that I'm wearing. And so while I had like the sort of cutter the better cut jeans, but then you had Kid Cudi, then you had like um a little bit after them, uh ASAP ASAP Rocky, you had Young Thug. Like you had like we, we pivoted from we're going from the baggy the super baggy era of like the mid two thousands where we got to the late 2000s, where we got the better fit. Then in the 2010s, we got, like, the the slim cut era. And so that's why we kind of... Now it's like the athleisure, where people don't necessarily want to wear jeans anymore. The the sweatpants, they can be tapered, they can be comfortable, and now you can see, like, the, the jeans that I'm wearing. So now we're kind of in an era where people are, are going to... You'll start seeing, like... Um, you may see like ASAP Rocky and like jeans that are not slim anymore. They may like, uh, I know Tyga, Tyga's wearing like baggy ass pants now. Mm. They're trying to bring that era back. <clears throat> but now it's like the shoes that we wear, they don't look good with baggy jeans anymore. So how can we really go back to the baggy era? Keep it slim. <laughs> everything is a circle. Everything goes in a circle, man. As long as we don't bring back the baggy white tees, I think we'll be okay though. Oh no, we need to bring that. We need Man. the baggy tea era. Like that was so. The, the baggy tea era was. Not, it was a bad. That's why I was able fashion, to spend but, so much on shoes. That's oh, why I was able to spend so much on shoes because I was just wearing different color <laughs> long tees all the time. Bro. George saw me. He knows. Kellen come in the back wearing a bull's hat and a baggy white t-shirt, and that was that was Kellen. That's that's like my enduring image of Kellen at the radio station. There it is. Before man. <laughs> Yo, I I put I I posted on Twitter a couple of weeks ago of it was me and like I think it was like 2006 maybe, and I had this the tall T scar. Uh, airbrush scarface t-shirt and that shit came yeah. out to my oh. knees like it came out to my knees the sleeves came basically like if if i finesse my arm a little bit my sleeves will touch my wrists like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the tall t era was fucking ridiculous for a lot of different ways like a lot of different reasons it was just a really dark era in fashion man you see my picture be like a from a t-shirt, right? Like that joint came down to my knees. I had an airbrush Jordan Ring shirt. I remember that forever. That was super long. I uh, the, the rings were jeweled. Like that they, they had the little beads nope. on the shirt for the for the rings. I was so mad when they started coming off, man. I love I rocked the hell out of that Jordan shirt. But yeah, that that, that explains why you spill some money on uh on uh shoes, because I just spend nothing on shirts. <laughs> Like, what was it, five can... for twenty at finish line? Oh, so, oh yeah, <laughs> five for twenty and, or th- three long tees for for fifteen, and you got five regular tees for twenty with the red sticker. Yep, in my white tee. Yep. <laughs> and so like it's 
it's funny we're talking about when you're saying you're buying you like cop the fake sneaks from the Morgantown Mall. Yep. I and I re- I remember that stand also. I totally remember what you're talking about. And but that's actually why we kind of got into the era of where in the mid two thousands where like the customized like the fake sneaks pop because we were just wearing we got to a point where our shirts were super plain. So I like I remember like people had like you remember the Sonics old colors like the the yellow and the green Sonics oh, yeah. colors. I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember when like people had that colorway on like a Jordan Four. It was it was yep. completely fake, but it's like we went to the sneaks because they actually the sneakers were the ones that actually had the flavor. So like you can buy a loud color shoe. Maybe you'll get like a a yellow tall tee to match it, but then you get like the throwback <laughs> Sonics fitted hat, and mm. then that was yeah. your fit. So like I remember vivid like <laughs> I used to call it chasing the match. So <laughs> it's like <laughs> <laughs> so you would buy, or well, I would buy. I I had like a the black and red fitted cap. I would wear a black and red uh tall tee i would have jeans and then i would have like you remember the hoodie era the hoodie era of the mid to late 2000s i would have like mm-hmm. the black red and white hoodie and then i would have on the, the the bread 11s or i would have on the black and red 13s so like you were always chasing the match like <laughs> you're always chasing the match man Man, you're absolutely right. Because there are so many things that I, I would force to uh and, and to try to pull. Up. Like, yeah, I got on all these loud colors, but there's some red in it. So I'm gonna put a little bit of red up here and then see how it works. So I, I totally get Jake's in the match. I totally get it. So yeah, you had you had to build the fit from either your shoes or the hat. Like it had to be yep. one or the other. So. Yeah, man. And George, you're talking about brand loyalty. Like, I used to be like strictly Nike and Jordan, but it it really did take boosts coming along. Not even not even necessarily Kanye going to Adidas, but it was more so of like boost was like the super. It was super popular, but then the sneakers were super comfortable. I got my first pair of boost in like um 2015 i think 2016 and they were still retailing them for like 180 i was able to cop from dicks um like 120 and so actually here's here's a a tip dicks is actually pretty good for actually (laughs) buying boosts on sale they have like 2019 Uh. boosts on sale now um can you use that ten dollar off fifty or more on it too? <laughs> I think like they're like they're always sending me emails for stuff. I think they have a boost for like um the retail for boost are gonna start at one ninety, but I think they have boost for like in the one twenty range now. So um I don't know if you're gonna get lower than that. Like mm-hmm. lower than that's gonna be a real stretch, but um uh I would look at Dick Sporting Goods to get some decent boosts on sale. Um, other than Looking that, at it right now, I see I see your orange joints right now. The Ultra Boost, one thirty four ninety nine. I would actually go to Adidas website as well. Adidas, Adidas actually has pretty good, uh, pretty good shoes to cop on sale. Like the ones that I showed that I got for like forty bucks, I got from Adidas.com. 
Um, and they had like the crazy sale going on. I don't know if they're still doing it now, but um, but yeah, man, it's. I think the first. I think the first place to always start is sort of the comfort the comfortability of it, and then going to the aesthetic of it after that. Like um, like I said, I have four pair of Jordan Elevens. Like I may I may wear my Elevens maybe three times in the whole year. Mm. So I don't I don't wear the Elevens very often. Um, right. Well, like I said, if you lace it, they can get comfortable. But if I if you have them unlaced, like they they kind of suck to wear. And man, that was a big ass pivot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a necessary, we, it was necessary we, pivot. Turn into stew pot. Kellen, it's gonna it's gonna make you very happy. I'm leaving all that in. All that's no, gonna stay you better. <laughs> you better. All that's some quality content, man. Yeah, and that's not going at the end. Like that's that's gonna be like in the. I'm gonna sandwich well, that, that in between. When we bring up stew wars. Hiya, Puddles. It's your girl, Holly Quinn, a.k.a. Dr. Harleen Quinzel, here to tell you all about it's like a podcast or whatever. We talk about nerd stuff and life stuff, and if you want to know what we're about, check out the Powie Awards, our 100th episode, Q and Slay, or theater from our butts. Have a good day, Puddles, and love, trust, and belief. Even going back to the book, like, Katie... And we can, I think we can finish up talking about KD right now. Like, and you know, I think KD is a lot of just sort of miscalculating like everything. Like, I think KD yeah. miscalculated like what it meant to go to the to Warriors. But even saying on the sneakers, he actually miscalculated. Like, you know, I think he thought that like going to the Warriors would bring about him being like the number one sneaker king. Also. But it's kind of like the situation of like, like I was saying before, like people like gravitating toward the aesthetic. Um, Katie was not going to outsell LeBron because I think LeBron, especially for bigger dudes, LeBron offers a better quality sneaker. But the Kyrie one, the Kyrie one actually was the most popular Nike like as far as like new signature line, mm-hmm. the Kyrie one was actually a really popular shoe. Like not even the Kyrie one, the Kyrie two also. Like as far as like the price point and also as far as like yeah. the comfortability, but also yeah. the aesthetic of it as well. If you, I don't, I don't know if you guys remember, but one of the first things that KD wanted to do with joining Nike was he wanted to be the guy to say I want a ninety dollars Nike shoe always. Like I wanted a shoe that was that was affordable enough for people to buy and then people like buying it. But the if you look aesthetically at the the KD one, twos and threes, like aesthetically like those especially the the, the KD one, like those just not really good looking shoes. So people didn't really gravitate toward the KD until the KD four came out. And it's kinda like even after the KD4, where all of KD shoes are sort of these low-cut sneakers, mm-hmm. that they're pretty, they have level of popularity, but the Kyrie one, it was like the most popular signature line that was non-retro Jordan of that year to come out, and uh, and this is actually after Kyrie one. This is this is Kyrie. Well, when they won a championship, I think the Kyrie one came out. I think two seasons after 2016. And so this is like in the midst of Katie being like this gargantuan basketball figure. 
but the Kyrie one drop and the kids fucking love the Kyrie one. I think the, the shoe that, um, if you remember when Zion exploded through in the Duke North Carolina game, I think that was the Kyrie two. So, you know, someone that's, that's Zion, who's this mega popular college star, he's wearing the, the, the Kyrie when he actually should be wearing the LeBron because LeBron is actually equal to his size and his strength, but he's, he's opting to wear the, the Kyrie. So I think he miscalculated as far as on the sneaker front, but to, to bring it back around a little bit more for KD, do you guys think that KD actually regrets going to the Warriors? Because I kind of think he does, but I, I want you guys to sort of take on it. Do you guys think looking back, you know, choosing to go, even winning the two championships, do you guys think he actually regrets the decision to go into the Warriors? Mm. I'll let you go first, George. <sighs> I mean, it depends. <clears throat> I'm going to say yes for him, having obviously not, you know, knowing his mentality behind it because he almost wants, he almost wants the fame and adulation more than he wants the rings. Um, and if that was the case, then maybe this was a wrong move because this was going to get him the rings and maybe he thought it was going to get him the the acclaim and everything. But you got to think when you're going again, it's not like they needed Kevin, the, the piece of Kevin Durant to get them over the top. It makes them, you know, freaking unstoppable. But they were they were a good team. They were an elite team before this, and then it's just like adding a ta- you know adding another tank to your your military basically. Uh, so I don't know for him. I think him looking back, maybe he would have preferred to do it go somewhere where he could do it his way, um, and he be the guy. If he truly wanted to emulate LeBron, then the move is you know going somewhere and pulling you know, boogie or somebody with you or AD or I don't know how, you know, would have, and eventually obviously boogie ends up in, in, in golden state. But, um, it, it, it's, I think if he were to do it more like LeBron and maybe be happier about it, it would have been a team constructed in his image, not a team that he added to and came into that was already a machine. Bro. What if Katie went to the warrior, uh, went to the Rockets instead of the Warriors I think mm-hmm. that actually would have been fucking nuts and great for the league. That would have were yeah, ridiculous. I mean, just he would he would have got some of the same infighting with him and Harden probably, but that would have been. I like watching Houston. I mean, it, they're they're a fun team. They got their own interpersonal problems from time to time, but I, that would have been. I mean, that would have been ridiculous. Them going up and they obviously in Houston came close twice, you know, in beating. In, in knocking off Golden State, but wasn't able to do so. But if you put Kevin on those teams, maybe it's Houston going to the finals. Obviously, I'm glad he went to the Thunder instead of the Rockets. I don't, I don't have, I have this weird hatred of the Rockets, and it's not even the, the team, the players that are there now. This is this a Chris Paul like thing? Is, is it pro- is a problem with a Chris Paul thing? Just say it. It's okay. No, it's not a Chris Paul thing. No, it goes back to like Elijah and Kenny Smith and them, like when they were winning titles and stuff. I was just like, I just never cared for Houston, and. Scotty went there, and then I was glad he failed there. And yeah. then, like, the T-Mac thing. Like, I enjoyed the Steve Francis era. I'll say that. But then um, T-Mac got oh, there, he, and, and Yao. Even the even Hakeem and those teams, you didn't like those teams at all. I just never cared for him, man. It just never did anything wow. for me, man. Like, I, I was rooting for the 94 Knicks so bad to beat those Rockets. And then John Starks just couldn't shot up the damn game in Game 7. 
you know what it is, George? I figured it out. He's just mad that if Jordan would have stayed in, in the league, mm-hmm. the Rockets would have beat those Jordan Bulls, and he would not be Ooh. 6-0 in the finals. I don't think the Bulls would have made it to the finals in 93-94 anyway if Jordan had stayed in the league. So, so there's that. I think the, I think the Knicks were right there, and then they just the Bulls just steamrolled them after losing the first two in '93. I don't think the Bulls would have made the finals if Jordan hadn't retired. But no, that has nothing to do with it. I just I've never been into the Houston Rockets. I just I just can't do it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Wow. Maybe you maybe you just don't like Houston, the city of Houston. Maybe that's what it is. It could be it. I've never I've never been to Houston, so I, I can't judge a city like that. Uh, well, whenever the quarantine ends, we'll. We'll go to Houston and we'll we'll change your mind about the city and, and its professional <laughs> basketball teams. There you go. There you go. I don't have a problem with Houston. The city sure, is the team. I don't like the. <laughs> sure, Jan. Uh, all right, Karen. Anyway, so Kevin, do you think Katie regrets going to the to the Warriors? Yes and no, because he re- he regrets it because one. It did vilify him, and he wasn't as prepared to be the villain as LeBron was, and he's never dealt with it well ever since. Um, he doesn't regret the rings or the finals MVPs, obviously. And I think genuinely did his first year, the 16-17 season. Um, so I don't think he regrets any of that. Um, but as far as him becoming this, if, if his number one goal was to be revered as one of the best players of all time, Going to Golden State ended up being the bad move because maybe he realized it after the first championship when he wasn't in the discussions to be better than LeBron that, like, man, maybe I'm not going to get this recognition here. And that's ultimately why he made the move to Brooklyn. Like, he, he I feel like he just has a chip on his shoulder that he's never going to be recognized as the talented individual that he is. And if he doesn't go to Golden State, that doesn't happen. But, like, when the 2012 Finals... They were they lost in five to the Heat and they were in all those games, and that was a team that came out of nowhere. And of course, the Harden trade broke them up. But even if he OKC had broken through that season, even then he wouldn't be revered as best player in the league. Then it would just been they have a talented core between him, Russell, and uh, Harden at the time. So I don't think any situation he could possibly go to if his goal is to be known as one of the greatest players of all time could possibly satisfy his his desire to be noticed, you know? So I think he regrets it in that sense. Uh, the accolades and the choice he can never regret. Uh, but I, I think he sees both sides of it. And that's why ultimately he, as soon as he got a chance, he, he got out of there and went to Brooklyn, man of all places. I think the only thing I would push back on would be what his status would be. If he stayed in, in Oklahoma city, actually, if, cause if you look at like Tim Duncan, um, we don't sort of we don't lessen his shine because he played with Manu and he played with Tony Parker and he was coached by Pop and he played with Kawhi. Like, I mean, when we talk about Tim Duncan, like we, you know, a lot of people consider him among the ten best ever. And you know, Ginobili, uh, you know, the greatness that he brought to the table, Pop being like one of the greatest coaches in NBA history. Um, I don't. I think if he stays in Oklahoma City and they win a title or two, I think that just elevates his profile in a way that going to the Warriors, it just didn't. Um, and I think if he goes to the Rockets and wins there, like, I think his his legacy is a bit different. Um, going back to even the KD to DC thing, like, 
you know, if he if he would have went there in a time when you know Wall was coming into his prime, um, Bradley Bill at that point he's someone that's really good. He's he's like one of the best two guards in the East. But at that point, he's someone that just has injury problems that at the time, we don't know if he can stay on the court or not. Um, you know, Marcin Gortat, like he is sort of on the way out. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what the other pieces of, of the Wizards actually going to look like if KD, if KD comes there. Um, but if he brings that franchise and the aspect of, you know, coming home and bring a title to, to dc imagine imagine the, the sports town dc would be if the capitals mm. <laughs> oh my god the capitals nationals and wizards all winning oh imagine imagine the big flip of the dc narrative i mean i think we've already flipped it with the capitals and the um the capitals and the nationals winning but imagine a big flip Oh yeah, shout out to the Mystics. I I was I was watching and cheering the Mystics win um, when it happened last season. But imagine the, the big flip of the DC sports town legend that KD comes and was a, a title there in the midst of Ovechkin being like, I mean, he he's now everyone's considering him like one of the greatest hockey players ever. Um, you know, Harper Harper leaving the Nationals. And us winning the first year that he leaves, um, and then somewhere in there, KD winning a championship with the Wizards, like, like that would have been legit, like storybook. And so, town would have exploded. Uh, mm-hmm. It totally would have, like, the bandwagons across the nation <laughs> would have exploded. <laughs> across Montgomery County, the bandwagons would be filled to the Raptors. Um, but. But yeah, man. Um, I just think, and I do, I I just think KD cheated the game. Like he cheated competitive nature, and so I think that he didn't necessarily calculate that. And even LeBron going to the to the Heat, like I I remember in the moment, I I may have even tweeted it. I didn't think LeBron would win this first year, but I thought he would win the second year, and. I didn't think he would win his first year because at least the East was still competitive enough or the NBA was still competitive enough that you know it was still in question. Like those four finals runs, it was never a lock that the 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 they were gonna win like heading into those finals, like mm-hmm. especially going up in, against the Spurs, like right. you know, those teams are super talented. So whenever Katie went to the Warriors. It was just like it. It was the ult- It was the ultimate cheat code. Like it was. It. It was just. It just wasn't fun. Like I think that's what he underestimated. And I think even going back to you know the the curse sort of idea of joy. I think from the fans' perspective, which Ethan touches on when he says fans and athletes they don't understand each other. Like. I think that the athlete doesn't necessarily understand that fans just want fun. Like fans want to see something that is competitive, whether it's with our team or another team in the league. Like 
we want to see people compete on a night in night out basis. So when the when the when the Wizards are going through their terrible slump or when the Bulls are going through their slump, we can at least look back at other teams in the league and say, wow, Jokic doing something with the Nuggets. That's actually pretty impressive. Or Kawhi basically as a mercenary winning in Toronto one year and then leaving like <laughs> like it was no one's business. That was actually something fun to actually sort of watch happen. Um, watching Embiid go to the 76ers and be this really fun person for that team. And I, I hate all Pennsylvania sports teams, but I like <laughs> but but I like I like Embiid. So he brings something to the table for the Sixers to compete. Um, I just think KD he just didn't understand that like. We don't care if you lose in Oklahoma City because at least your teams are great enough to be in that position. But going to the Warriors is just not fun for the NBA. And so I think him going to Brooklyn, which, in all honesty, like I think if he wins a title in Brooklyn, I think that's when he'll actually start to get his roses. But he lost years of his prime and people not appreciating his greatness. And so... Winning in Brooklyn doesn't necessarily mean anything but to the legacy of Kevin Durant. Like, no one from the Nets fan base is going to – no one from the Nets fan base is is, is that – I'll be frank, they're not, not that important. <laughs> like, to the history of the NBA, right. they're, just, they're just not. Like, like <clears throat> Brooklyn like Brooklyn itself is a young franchise that – no, like, even Jay-Z buying them years ago – no one even remembers that. No one even cares about that anymore. So I think bringing a title to Brooklyn in the overall scheme of it, it kind of doesn't really mean much. Yeah, I mean, for, he, he, he still has a lot to do. Well, Kellen, do you think that he can, even bringing a title to Brooklyn, do you think that actually repairs his image? Uh, no. I, I really, I kind of feel like he's beyond repair now, even if he gets extra titles and everything like that. I feel like his status is, is kind of written, man, like, to steal from Natasha Bedingfield. I mean, it's just is what it is. So, you know, I think we can do to change it. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with Kellen and that I think there's an opportunity, A, because of this injury, and B now coupled with this, you know, delay that may result in just the complete cancellation of this NBA season, um, because of the pandemic, that now it's up to Kevin. That, that there is the rest is still in feel the rain on your skin the rest is still unwritten but there's there's an opportunity for him that he, if he would like to i don't know refocus and realign himself into listen i'm sorry for being a bitch all these years but now i'm gonna come out and do the best that i can to win a championship here and be a better person and roam whatever the heck he wants to do with it that, that he he can, I think, just because of this gap, but because of him being injured and because of there being no basketball, that when we start whatever is the next basketball season, whether it's in November, December, or even further down the road than that, that he may have, it's going to take a huge, you know, kind of change in him. But I think that there may be a way for him to rewrite or at least put on a better face than he has in the past. But now, personally, I don't see him doing that i don't have any confidence that we have seen anything that shows that he would want to do something like that but i think there is an opportunity for him to kind of change some things going forward into whatever the next nba season looks like uh, 
Just come to DC, Kevin. Just come Please. to the just come to the Wizards. Join Gang Sign. Join Bradley Bill. <laughs> Maybe we'll get rid of Scott Brooks just to bring you in, but come home. You know. You Maybe he likes Scott Brooks and we don't know. You know. <laughs> that, or is that why he left OKC? One of the reasons he left. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, Scott Brooks and those minutes management. Uh, it's not what you want. <laughs> it's not what you want. Let me punctuate it with an Andre Iguodala quote, who suddenly became like the mental conscience of the locker room. Quote: Shaq and Kobe, they won three championships in a row, but it didn't end in a way you would wanted it to end. Ain't that what you expect to happen? Everything come to an end. Andre Iguodala. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. So that's a good place to end it. So uh, where are we going next with this book, Marcus? The last three, and that's it. So there's only, after the um, KD chapter, there's only three more chapters in the acknowledgement. So we'll wrap up the book in the next pod. But so far, like I said, the, the first six chapters of this book have all been real impressive. So I can't wait to finish yes. it. Yes. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. it it's, it's real solid. It's not Jordan Rules level, but it's still really good. Jeez. Jeez. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and comment. This has been a Hyphen Podcast Network production. They're the bestest. I'm getting paid at exposure.